Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all well and thank you once again, as always, for being here. It's very much appreciated. Glad to have you along for a bit of F1 discussion as we're here to preview the Hungarian Grand Prix. And of course, as always, with all of our race previews and reviews, we are joined by the DNF1 panel to talk F1. This evening, we're joined by Courtney Pine. Uh, Lee's not available, unfortunately, as he's away for a well-deserved break. But nevertheless, we've got plenty to talk about and we've got plenty of panellists with us to get stuck in with all of that. Courtney, first of all, let's uh, touch base with you, mate. How are you doing? You okay? Yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Sorry you're only stuck with me this week. I'll, I'll do my damnedest to uh, complete the void that Lee has left behind today. Yeah, absolutely. We... Uh, Miss him dearly, but I'm sure he'll be back to grace us with his uh, F1 opinions and perspective very, very soon. But of course, every now and then, it's not too bad to have the OGs on for DNF1 every now and then. And of course, speaking of OGs, we uh, got plenty to talk about going into this Hungarian Grand Prix. I know many of you guys will be listening in thinking, oh, here we go. Another preview. I wonder who's going to win this Grand Prix. But of course, mm-hmm. whilst F1 may be a little bit more predictable in this era of dominance with Red Bull... Every now and then we get the odd curveball or something new happens to make things a little bit interesting. And of course, I think the first place we need to start, Corny, with this preview is Daniel Ricciardo coming back to F1. Now, for those of you who weren't aware, we recorded a podcast with F1 journalist Sam Coop from Formula Nerds. It was a great discussion on the return for Daniel Ricciardo what we thought was going down there, our thoughts on the news and what it could mean for Red Bull going forward. So Courtney, let's start with you, mate. What are your thoughts reacting to the Daniel Ricciardo news? I think, first of all, uh, the fact that Daniel Ricciardo even dropped out of the F1 grid 
in the first place. I think it's very easy to focus on the negatives surrounding that. But I think it, it's actually a reflection on how strong um, the grid that we have um, right now. In my opinion, I think this is the strongest F1 group we've had for at least 20 to 30 years. And I think that needs to be celebrated. And it seems that um, Daniel's put a lot of work into it. It seems like he's put a lot of work into the um, his sim work, which I think has been highlighted, a highlighted flaw of his in the past. He hasn't put enough effort in behind the scenes. Um, but now it seems like he's he's put more effort in and he wants to come back stronger and to prove that there's a lot of life in him still. And let's not forget that Daniel's still only in his early 30s. So he's now in his prime F1 years. So I hope for the sport, I think the sport is a, a better place um, for when, when Daniel's around. So I'm really hoping he kicks on. And I'm also intrigued to see if Daniel's problems were McLaren-related, whether, you know, the way the car was designed, the concept of that car played to Daniel's weaknesses. So I'm very intrigued to see how he gets on at AlphaTauri. Yeah, very much so. I mean, the the word of the day on that is, is Daniel Ricciardo ready? That That is the question. How do we expect him to perform this weekend? He has been very, very confident about his chances this weekend. He feels, he claims that he feels very at one with the AlphaTauri, despite the fact that over the years, AlphaTauri, you know, despite being a Red Bull junior team, have often tried to distance themselves away from the senior team, not necessarily from a branding perspective, but also the characteristics of their car. So you wouldn't necessarily assume that Ricardo will just go from doing the sim work and the tyre test in the Red Bull from this season, jump into the AlphaTauri and treat it like a duck to water. There is going to be some calibration and some time where he will have to get used to this car. Overall, Courtney, how, how do you think he's going to do this weekend? Will he be as ready as he claims to be? Or will these next few races before the summer break serve as a bit of a teething period so that he can get used to it and then perhaps we'll see the real Daniel Ricciardo after the summer break I think the the you know the analogy you used there about um, a duck to water is going to be the biggest question mark is it going to be a duck to water or is it going to be you know a duck falling in a pool of toffee and anyone who has ducks knows that would be awfully messy for both ducks and for everyone who needs to clean it up. There's just my farmer talk going on there. Yeah, I was going to so, say, yeah, it... you're going to have to... Uh, I mean, just to cut it there <laughs> for a second, um, any of our listeners that do know a thing or two about ducks and understand the reference, do let us know in the comments. Like, get involved. We need to uh, have a segment for some duck chat with Courtney on this podcast. So uh, if you are a duck aficionado and get that, get involved. We've, uh, we've got a lot of ducks at Mudshoot, so I, I know the animals inside out. So we want, <laughs> we want, we want Daniel to be a watery duck. Not not a duck that's covered in toffee. A watery duck rather than a toffee duck. I think we're going to have to uh, use that a few times just so that it sticks. <laughs> no pun intended, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's important to urge on the side of caution here because obviously we're all excited that Daniel is coming back. I, for one, didn't expect Daniel Ricciardo to return to Formula 1, especially so soon. And, you know... It's easy for us to get carried away with expectation and hope. Oh, could this be the narrative for the second half of the season? You know, Daniel Ricciardo coming back to Red Bull was a marketing ploy more than anything else, but he was there as a reserve driver. And a lot of people, some cynics, of course, probably felt that this was a this was Red Bull's way of keeping Perez on his toes. You know, they didn't have an obvious replacement lined up within the Red Bull program. It's fair to say Sonoda's not quite ready yet. Liam Lawson obviously isn't in Formula One yet. His time will surely come eventually. And 
evidently, as we've seen, Nick DeVries was never going to quite make the grade in that regard either. So, you know, fast forward halfway through the season, Daniel Ricciardo is now back. A lot of people are going to be hoping, at the very least, even if they're Red Bull fans, that Ricciardo coming back is going to serve as a stark warning to Perez to either improve his form or maybe Ricciardo will show he's still good enough to jump into that Red Bull for 2024. So... Whilst all that excitement is there, I, I, as I said, I, I think we need to urge on the side of caution here. I don't think we need to get too carried away. If Ricardo's not up to the level of Sonoda straight away, let's not panic. But this is a real opportunity now for Ricardo to really prove himself. But at the same time, we do have to stress that if he's not able to live up to Sonoda's level for the rest of the season, it could very much be curtains on his career. Yeah, it could work out either way. I, I think it's uh, it's like a, a last-ditch audition isn't it really? Um, which which is strange because this guy is, you know, has run as well multiple races, as you know, challenged and beaten the best drivers with you know, he's diced with the likes of Alonso, Vettel, Lewis, and has held himself fairly well most of the time. So that's what I mean. It's, it's not like he's any old slouch. But you are right, you know, with with F one, particularly in the way these um, these cars are de- developing fairly rapidly. You need to give him a little bit of time. But I was I was actually gonna ask you, I wonder if Sergio Perez would be worried about Daniel's um, move to Alpha Tauri. I think we're going to eventually see them come on the track because when Sergio Perez, this is me being a bit cheeky, don't come at me in the comments, when when Sergio Perez and that league starts um, behind uh, Daniel Ricciardo because he has a bad qualifying, we'll see them dicing on track. So we might get a few opportunities to see uh, to see them to uh, duel. I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, what, what are the odds this weekend that Perez has another stinker in qualifying? And he ends up being out-qualified by Ricardo. I mean, what are the realistic expectations here for Alvatari? Because let, let's be honest, even though it's Daniel Ricardo, and let's assume we're getting the best Daniel Ricardo back, the one that we saw at Renault for a few years and, and Red Bull when he was winning those races, perhaps a decent level Ricardo like we saw in the first year McLaren. If we get that Ricardo, the Alvatari still, it's still going to be hard to believe that they can get themselves out of Q1. Now, of course, I'm not saying that's impossible because Sonoda's very much done that quite regularly this season. So a Q2 appearance is more than likely at this point. But if you get a scenario where Perez has another stinker and Ricardo out-qualifies him, all of a sudden, social media, pundits everywhere, they're going to love that story. They're going to feed into it. In a way, it's probably what Red Bull wants to a certain degree. I think first and foremost, they would want Perez to up his game be at the front with Verstappen like he should be at the moment and not have to worry about his race pace to get him out of trouble. They want Perez to be good. But of course, if Ricardo proves to be the better of the two options, or even Sonoda to some extent, it's not the worst thing in the world for Red Bull. Um, I don't think Perez is too worried. I know he says he's not worried at all. He's been in F1 for 13 years or something like that. He's been there and done it. He's seen it all. But I'd be very surprised if he wasn't worried about the prospect of Ricardo coming back into F1. He probably looked over his shoulder a little bit and thought, oh, well, he's back in the team. It's not really a big deal. But now he's in a car. It's starting to get a little bit more real. And I'd be very surprised if Checo hadn't, you know, double take, double took on this just to see, OK, he's there. I've got to up my game and hopefully things will be OK. I think this goes back to my original point, you know, when I said about, you know, Daniel dropping out of F1 altogether. But if you ever look at this current grid, I think if you're not uh, Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, and even to the extent Charles Leclerc, 
I don't think you should rest on your laurels. I, I feel it's an extremely competitive grid. There are plenty of young, talented, and hungry drivers that would be after that um, that seat of Red Bull. And even if Sergio was to drop out of Red Bull, how many seats would be available? So I, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not going to be. You know, I'm saying this to grab attention, grab the headlines. You know, on the old YouTube algorithm. But I'm not. I don't think he'll drop out of F1 altogether this season. But Sergio Perez needs to be very careful about retaining his Red Bull seat, and and also look at um, Valtteri Bottas. I don't want to be too harsh on Valtteri Bottas. I did think that Valtteri would have more of a, a step up in his personal performance after leaving Mercedes, and that hasn't quite happened. And they're both at that similar age now, where you know you can the ambitions can struggle. He's been getting beat by his teammate fairly convincingly. And I, I just think this is a very, very interesting time of uh, for Sergio Perez and for Danny Ricciardo. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, they are fortunate to a degree that in terms of the, the next drivers coming through the, the conveyor belt, the junior series, there's nobody... I mean, you could make an argument, I suppose, for Fred Vesti and Teo Porcher and Ayumu Asa to a larger extent, and of course Liam Lawson, let's not forget about him, they are waiting for that opportunity. But I wouldn't exactly say there was anyone out there that was smashing down the door like a George Russell or a Lando Norris or a Charles Leclerc like they were in Junior Series a few years back. So they are afforded the luxury of not having too much pressure. But I think you're right, Corny, given the level of the grid right now and how much depth of talent there is, that someone like Nick DeVries can just be chucked away and chewed up and yeah. spat out to the wayside after 10 races. It's crazy, really. To think that that's possible. But this is the Red Bull program we're talking about. They are ruthless. They have made those decisions for better or worse. And they will continue to make those in pursuit of finding the next star in their team. Whether that be Perez, Ricardo, Sonoda or maybe Lawson in the future. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and I think look, if you have a look at the Red Bull, it's obviously the car to beat at the moment. So that seat's going to be particularly sought after. So we know that with success comes added pressure. So that's something that Sergio really needs to consider. Mm. And, and Red Bull certainly aren't afraid to look outside their own programme. That's how Perez got in. So, yes, we'll have to wait and see. But guys, let us know in the comments. How do you think Daniel Ricciardo is going to do and how is he going to fare this weekend on his return to F1. I know it doesn't seem like a long time, but you know, six months outside of an F1 car can be a very long time. So uh be interesting to see how he gets on. So moving on to the next topic of discussion of this preview. Normally we do the predictions for this weekend and, and we will do later on in the episode, but I kind of want to do a bit of a prediction going forward um for the rest of this technical era that we're currently in right now. We're in the second years of this iteration of technical regulations. And a lot of it has been dominated by Red Bull. You could argue from the summer break, maybe even just before that, um, last season to this season, Red Bull have very much been in the ascendancy. And the question since then has been, who is the most likely challenger to compete with Red Bull going forward? F1 certainly needs one. And there are probably a handful of candidates at this point in time where you have Aston Martin, Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren have suddenly re-emerged as a potential challenger off the back of what we saw at Silverstone. Alpine have always been, they've been the team in the midfield. Do they have what it takes? I'm, I'm not sure on the long term. But right now, realistically, Corny, we probably have three, if not four teams in the mix that 
are all cancelling each other out at different circuits and having good weekends and having equally bad weekends throughout this season where Red Bull have been absolutely brilliant everywhere. In your mind, out of those candidates, Courtney, who is really in the best place to challenge Red Bull going forward in this new technical era? I think the two candidates, I've seen some people be like, oh, you're so predictable. But I feel the two candidates that really stand out to me are Ferrari and Mercedes. Um, I feel that, obviously, let's, let's run back to 2022. It seemed that Ferrari had the best understanding of the new regulations alongside Red Bull. So, you know, the they have, they have a starting point. I, I feel that uh, Mercedes, despite the uh, the difficulties they had, particularly last year, they're a little bit more mature along their development path as well. Um, and I feel that Mercedes is getting to the point. I think um, Lewis Hamilton said himself um, after the British Grand Prix that he knows exactly uh, what the problem is with the car. Whether how long that takes to translate to better race results, time will tell. But I feel that Ferrari and Mercedes are sort of further along the understanding. And maybe that comes with the race winning experience they've had in recent years. Uh, we have a look to Aston Martin. They've made a good step forward, but I feel it's going to take them more time to solidify what they're working with. I think McLaren are going to be the most interesting moving forward, but I'd still believe that Mercedes and Ferrari are probably the two most likely to challenge consistently. I feel that McLaren and Aston Martin will be sort of more peaky, so they'll be more up and down, whereas I feel like Ferrari and Mercedes will be more consistently close to Red Bull. I think for me... You can't look past Mercedes. I think if you're going to pick one candidate, it has to be them. And look, Ferrari fans probably listening to this show probably look at me and think, Ad, why are you not backing Ferrari? I think the simple fact is, every time we get a new regulation set, Ferrari, more often than not, are usually up there in the ascendancy, if not with the fastest car at the beginning of it. Over time, it starts to fade away for different reasons. And we saw this in 2017 for a large part of that season. Ferrari had the best car and and could have won the world championship. Probably should have won the world championship in 2018. But of course, you know, that didn't happen. And then in 2022, Ferrari looked like the team that had set the benchmark. They looked like they had the best car and everyone else was playing catch up. Red Bull eventually got to, you know, got on terms with their car and left everybody in the dust. And for a large part of last season, Courtney, even Matteo Bonotto was saying that even if Ferrari had the unlimited resources that a cost cap era just doesn't allow for anymore to develop their car and pursue the right direction, Ferrari, more often than not, were scratching their heads and and looking clueless as to what they could do to improve things. They've only now got to a point with this car where they're actually much more efficient with it in terms of the aero and and overall performance with the floor and, and all the other bits that come with that compared to where they were last season. We've only now just got into that position following the, you know, the, the te- changes to the technical regs on the floor last summer break. So you take that into consideration and you realise that Ferrari, for whatever reason, they just cannot seem to keep up in this development race. And it's going to be hard for them to be that outstanding candidate to challenge Red Bull, let alone beat them. Aston Martin, as you rightly pointed out, I think they've done a great job with what they had so far, but I think they're starting to realise where they are limited in terms of resource. They're still sharing the Mercedes wind tunnel and simulator. They're not going to be online with their own in the new facilities they have until next season. So they're still pegged back in that regard. They've done a great job, but I just think 
their project is more long-term rather than short-term. So I just don't think they can compete on a level footing with Red Bull, let alone beat them, despite having the closest concept car to the Red Bull at the moment. McLaren, yes, I think McLaren are outstanding at Silverstone, but I do want to urge on the side of of caution for McLaren fans because Silverstone was a circuit that always going was going to play to their strengths. And the upgrades on their car really helped that a lot. And I think at Hungary, we're going to start to see McLaren fall back a little bit. Not necessarily down the bottom of the field like they were at the start of the season. But I do think they're going to have a hard time to beat Ferrari, Aston Martin and Mercedes on a slower track, under braking. It's still a fairly laggy car in that regard. So, you know, they are getting better. But theirs is more long term as well. Then we get to Mercedes. You know, the long story short, this is why I think Mercedes are in the position where they are most likely to challenge Red Bull. It's a car very good on its tyres. It's still very, very draggy at the moment. They have two very, very high-level drivers, arguably the best driver pairing on the grid. And judging by what Mercedes are trying to do here, it looks like their problems are the much easiest to solve out of all the teams. And they seem to be the most efficient team being able to solve that. I think people will come at me and say, look, Mercedes have struggled the last two years because they've gone the wrong way. They're about 18 months behind Red Bull in terms of their understanding of the right concept to go down. But that being said, they are still the best equipped team to deal with all of this. And to me, they look like the team that's going to be more likely to challenge Red Bull going forward just because they're the best at being able to deal with these issues than all the others. I completely agree with what you're saying. And another thing, I have to say this with a, a real word of caution, because as we're seeing this weekend, Red Bull are rumoured to be bringing some upgrades. It could be up to at least two tenths of a second faster, which is what the uh, casual fans really want to be hearing. But oh, I boy. do. Yes. So I'm going to try and try and go with a bit of good news here. I feel the more competitive the the battle behind Red Bull becomes, I feel that they will push each other. I think because it's going to be so competitive, I do feel they'll push each other to slowly but surely catch up with Red Bull. Um, I don't quite know how long that's going to take, but I do feel that if a team isn't challenging Red Bull by the second half of 2024, I think some serious questions need to be asked about, you know the direction that these teams are going in because, you know, we saw we saw a couple of years after um, the Mercedes dominance, other teams started to get closer. They, I know there's never a you know a, a time frame on these things, but come on, it, it's it, it was it would be it would be embarrassing for the other teams if they didn't start um at least challenging Red Bull for race wins next year. Yeah, absolutely. And you know <laughs> People listening in are probably hoping for us to be a little bit more upbeat in terms of when the teams can realistically challenge Red Bull on an equal footing. But I don't think that's an unrealistic target, the second half of 2024. We just have to hope the ATR regs do their job and that Red Bull are going to be paid back by constantly being the number one team that has the less development time. But we often forget that whilst we're talking about the teams catching Red Bull up, Red Bull are still going to be making games of their own. So... You know, then coming out and saying that they're going to be upgrading the car to the point where it has a two, three temps per lap advantage on where it was at Silverstone. Everybody's going to sit there and have a sigh of uh, despair if you're not a Red Bull fan and just think, oh, great. Like, they're somehow finding even more time and they're going to stretch their advantage even further. It's um, it, it's amazing. It's so difficult to fathom, but that that's the reality right now. They also said, Courtney, that 
this car is going to look very, very different, noticeably different. And I think it was Lee in the group chat saying, wouldn't it be mm-hmm. hilarious if Red Bull decided to adopt the no side pods approach that Mercedes did, but they found a way to make it work. After all their effort and Mercedes abandoning the concept, it would just be heartbreakingly cruel and in a way quite hilarious, actually, if you're a Red Bull fan, of course, for them to actually master the concept that Mercedes failed. I'm not suggesting that's what's happening, but it would be hilarious if that was the case. I wouldn't even rule it out at this point. I thought that Red Bull have such a gap that they, particularly, they we we all know they easily have the best designer in Adrian Newey. He is very much the benchmark when it comes to aero design. But it just shows that they have so much time in hand that they actually have the time to, you know, tinker and, and, and play with uh, new concepts. It's, it's, it's almost like they're so far ahead that they have time to do some a few burnouts and uh, still go on ahead and win the race. But it just goes down to a topic conversation that we often have, not only on this podcast, but in private conversation. It, it can be very frustrating when one guy dominates the sport. I was saying just yesterday that now Djokovic has lost to a Wimbledon final. We're now seeing a level of dominance from one driving, which we're not seeing in any other sport at the moment. And even though for the neutral, that could be um, frustrating. You have to put your hats off to the job they've done at Red Bull. They've, they've obviously, particularly with Adrian Newey in charge. Once again, he's pulled it out of the hat. And we just have to enjoy the battle from second um, going backwards. And uh, also, you know, with Max Verstappen, the job he's doing. And I, I've I've been seeing like articles lately and videos about, you know, the amount of time the guy puts in the sim racing. I often downplayed his achievements by saying that, you know, he's he's only got this far because of his dad and the privilege that comes with that. But the guy is obsessed with sim racing. I feel you're putting that much time and effort. If if sim if sim work is your hobby, you know, most whilst most other drivers are out partying and you know, with Lewis Hamilton, for example, you know, he's hanging out with celebrities, doing fashion shoots. Max is on the sim. He's got his world championship trophy next to him on the table and he's doing sim racing. I, I, I just feel that Max Verstappen is the epitome of that generation of driver. That 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 work pays off. He's doing it all the time. So I just find, I just don't know how long term. I don't know how other drivers beat that because he's he's in a world of his own. Speaking of sim racing, did you see that video that's been doing the rounds on social media? Because I saw this a couple of days ago and now it started to blow up a bit more where Max Verstappen was in a sim race and I can't remember what it was for. It was for like Redline, whatever he was driving at Spa. And someone went into him at Turn 1 at La Source in Belgium. And he's followed this person all the way down to Eau Rouge um, and Radion, gone down the Camel Strait, and then he's absolutely taken them out at the end of the corner. Um, I, I just thought, yeah, followed them all the way to, what was it? Not Puon, uh, trying to think... Um, Oh, what you what people used to call Radion. Anyway, I can't remember the corner anyway. My memory's gone blank on this one. But yeah, did you see that, Courtney? What what'd you make of that? Um, it just shows uh, what how Max Verstappen can be. But look, it's it's on it's on the I know people take the sim racing very seriously, but I'm not gonna react to it in the way that other people might, because at the end of the day, like nobody's um lives are at risk. Um, but I I do see a lot of similarity similarities between Max Verstappen and Djokovic. I think they're such fierce competitors. We saw in the Wimbledon final, you know, uh, Djokovic uh, obviously lost a break in the, in the final set and he smashed a racket. And, and we saw a lot of criticism for that. And even though it's not the best way to, to conduct yourself, it just shows how seriously the guys at the top of their game take their work. So 
you don't want to be taking too much away from him. But he does. He, there was that incident, though, where he did retaliate to Lewis. He thought that Lewis was blocking him on a lap. And he did retaliate and mess up one of Lewis's laps. So Max does still have that level pettiness in his actual F1 driving. Yeah, I mean, with the sim uh, video that we saw on social media, I mean, yeah, it was a little bit of, uh, you know, spitting the dummy out and probably a bit annoyed about that stuff. I'm sure a lot of people that are really into their sim racing would voice their opinions on it. I saw loads of people going, oh, well, he's an ambassador for this. He's a big sim racer. You know, he... Lots of people pay lots of money for equipment and all that. And I'm thinking, okay, okay, look, let's just calm down here. It's um, It was like that incident with Simon. Was it Simon Pagano when he took out Lando Norris or wanted That's to take right. out Norris? And everyone was losing their minds over that. And I just thought, like, let's have a bit of perspective here. I mean, are, are we annoyed at this because a famous racing driver, you know, arguably the fam- most famous sim racer in the world at the moment, has spat the dummy out and, and crashed into someone in a race out of rage or are we just annoyed because it's Max Verstappen and it's another <laughs> and it's another way to you know attack him with something I, I, I think it's a little bit of both quite frankly yeah, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna give him a you know a buy on this and say oh you know it's only sim racing it's all computer stuff and all that rubbish like obviously you know there is an element to this where Max has got to grow up a little bit and just like look these things happen you know if someone took you out on purpose it's annoying but when you got that profile, I imagine loads of content creators probably have the same problem when they're doing stuff and people take them out in online lobbies. I get it. But let's not go crazy here. It's not like we're going to throw Max in prison or anything crazy. Like, if you did that in real life, obviously that, that that's another thing altogether. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's a yeah, bit, bit crazy stuff. I don't know. Maybe that's just my opinion. I don't really do gaming that much anymore. So, yeah, I do miss it, but, you know, what can you do? Um, let's move on to the next topic of discussion. Let's talk about Williams, actually, because... Yes. We haven't featured Williams as sort of a central piece on this show in these previews. And I think we should because a lot of what they've done this season, a lot of good things they've done this season have very much gone under the radar. And we had a few questions come into us. And one person asked, is it about time that we started acknowledging Williams as a solid midfield contender and finally, once and for all, put forward that they are no longer the back marker team? I'm going to say yes, absolutely no longer the back marker team. They are very much a team in the midfield at this point in time. Yeah, I, I think the acquisitions of not only um, Alex Albon, but James Vales from Mercedes as well, great additions to the team. And it does seem like they're on an upward trajectory. I'm not going to get carried away and say, yeah, they're going to join that group alongside the likes of Aston Martin, McLaren, etc. And I'd love to see that. The more competition, the, the better it is for the sport, given the quality of drivers that we currently have. Um. But yeah, they've, they've certainly taken a step forward. And I, I think we can agree, Adam, we're both big believers in giving credit when credit is due and actually be consistent. Sometimes we get accused of being biased. Uh, that's a whole different matter. But I'm a big believer in give, giving credit when credit's due. We were all very quick to make fun of Williams when we saw the simplicity, let's say, of their flaw in Monaco. But they're certainly heading in the right direction. And I think it's also good that we don't have a one backmarker team at the back. You know, we often complain that there's only one team at the front. I mean, often, often there's been a backmarker team. We saw it with Haas in recent years, but now we're seeing it with Williams. I think now you've got the likes of um, Alfa Romeo, Haas, um, even Alfa Tauri on a bad weekend to be looking behind themselves and going, well, look, we we don't get out, we don't back up our ideas. We could end up right at the back. So the competition, apart from the team at the front, 
the competition is really building up in F1 and it just gives me plenty of encouragement in the coming years. Yeah, it really does. And I, I'm I'm hopeful for Williams. It's great to see what they're doing at the moment. I think James Vowles, as you mentioned, Courtney, has proven to be a very, very good team principal at this point in time. Of course, there are always going to be question marks about his experience and suitability for the role. Other team principals like Joss Capito and Paddy Lowe had stints there. I can't imagine either of them had anywhere near as much success in a short period of time as James Vowles has. Now, of course, it's all circumstantial. Williams hardly had any money or on the brink of going out of business when Paddy Lowe was trying to sort things out there. They didn't even have a car for the first three days of testing at that point. So the writing was always going to be on the wall there. Joss Capito, you know, there was a lot of investment there from Doralton Capital, but it was very much a battle of what Doralton thought they were giving to Williams. They thought was satisfactory and, and Williams weren't doing enough with versus Joss Capito saying there wasn't enough investment and not enough resource to improve Williams. So, you know, that was never going to work out. Uh, unfortunately. But now James Vowles has come in. He knows how a race winning or championship winning team works. He's addressing the issues at Williams that need to be addressed. And slowly but surely, progress is being made. Still a long way to go. And it will get tougher the further along they go at this point in time. But they are doing a great job right now. And the rumours were going around regarding Alex Albon, whether or not he would be interested in the Red Bull seat or going back there. Rumours were saying that Alex actually turned that down because he's quite happy and very confident about this Williams project. Now, again, I'm speculating here, but if that was true, that just speaks volumes about what Williams are doing right now. With someone like Alex Albon potentially turning down a future seat at Red Bull again, where he was before, because he wants to stay at a team like Williams. Well, it, it just sums up really what we've already said, that Williams are building something. And, and sometimes you can look at drivers or in other sports, you can look at players when they move from one club to another and they're thinking, you know, it's, it's one thing being with the best, but sometimes players or drivers like to build something and it does look like Albon and the Williams team are building something together. And I think, you know, again, the, the acquisition of James Vowles and how Albon has really settled into the team and kicked on, that really is a prime example of the atmosphere that they're building at Williams. And if Williams continue to, you know, exude, let's say, that kind of atmosphere, it's going to start attracting the higher class engineers to help build that team. I don't know where they're at facilities-wise. I still think that might be the biggest drawback of the Williams team. I still think they're still fairly behind when it comes to facilities. So they will still need to up that game. They can't just rely on the... Uh, on the heads of the people that work for them, they will need the facilities if they really, really want to compete with the midfield. Absolutely. And, you know, Williams were, what were they saying the other day? They were like 20 years behind some of the bigger teams. And, and that is a stark reminder of how difficult things are for Williams at the moment. But in a cost cap era, they're always going to be bringing new technology in. It's going to be easier to compete against the bigger teams in that regard. So, you know, if Williams are able to find the right investment and get everybody working together in the way that I think they are at this point in time. Sky's the limit. We'll have to wait. It's, a, it's going to be a long process, but uh, I've not been this optimistic about Williams for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that, I, you know, not just my reference, but I think the reference of other people saying similar things there, that does speak volumes about the job that James Vowles and many people at Williams are currently doing right now. So long may that continue. So we get to this point in the episode now, Courtney where we do our predictions for this weekend's Hungarian Grand Prix. And for those of you that are new 
Uh, we have a set list of categories where we do predictions based on what we think will go down this Grand Prix. And we would love for you guys to play along with us. If you're watching this on YouTube, as always, don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel if you are new. But get in touch in the comments regarding these predictions. We want to know your thoughts heading into this weekend's Grand Prix. And of course, if you listen on your favorite audio platform, don't forget to leave us a five-star review, of course. It really helps us out a lot. But head over to YouTube, get in the comments, let us know what you think. So the first category, Courtney... The best surprise. Who's going to be the best surprise this weekend? Um, it's not going to be the biggest surprise, but two of the uh, predictions will tie together and you'll see later on what I mean. I think Ferrari are going to be stronger. I think Ferrari are going to be the best of the rest. Oh, interesting. Interesting prediction. I am going to, and this ties in with my bold prediction as well. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to go and then say it. Got to go for it. Daniel Ricciardo to be the best surprise this weekend. It would be rude of us not to (laughs) put Daniel Ricciardo in this mix, given his return to F1. And often we do get drivers when they come back, surprisingly, their first race back, they do tend to take a lot of people by surprise. So, you know, maybe we'll get that with Danny Rick. Maybe that confidence and that excitement is there. Something that did seem to leave him at McLaren for some time. We may get something special. We'll have to wait and see. Flop of the weekend. I'm going to go first on this one. Despite our glowing reference for Williams, I'm looking in the direction of Logan Sargent here. Now, with Logan, I think he's been pretty decent. I think a lot of people try to throw him in the same category as Nick DeVries, but I think you have to remember Logan's situation is a little bit different to Nick. He's a lot less experienced than Nick is. And I think all things considered, I don't think he's done that bad of a job quite frankly. That being said, the weaknesses of the Williams car is going to be very, very much on show this weekend. And I think Logan's going to struggle as a result to drive around it. Adam, you've just just said my own prediction. I was going to say word for word. So, I mean, thank you because you're right. Um, I think, I think Logan is, look, whether, whether it sounds horrible, I do think Logan is on raw talent right now. I would say he's the weakest driver on the grid. And you're absolutely right. The Williams strength is uh, straight line and high-speed corners. Hungary is a very different animal in that sense. So I agree. I think Logan Sargent will be the flop of the weekend. Yeah, it's a bit of a harsh way of putting it. You know, in this regard, I think it's just going to who's going to struggle the most. You could make a case for Williams, but we know Alex Albon will do his utmost to try and drive around these issues. And he usually goes well at Hungary quite frankly. So, you know, he might be able to do something, but uh, I'm not overly confident that Williams are going to have a strong weekend compared to what they had at Silverstone, where they were much more on the pace. So let's do pole position. And uh, Courtney, where are we going pole position? Wait, give me a moment. (laughs) Max. I was worried you're going to be thinking for a long time there. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'm going to go Max as well. I don't know why I, t- I tried to be funny with that, but it didn't work. Um, race winner. Who are we going for? Race winner. Max. Max Verstappen. Yeah, you should put in a bit more exuberance for this. I mean, at the moment, it does seem to be reliability or perhaps we may get a wet race and we end up with a Bottas T-bone into turn one like we did a couple of years ago where he <laughs> took half of Max's car off. Even if he did that this year, I still think Max will probably be the favourite to win anyway, given how well he's driving. So, uh, yeah, I can't really look past Max to win this Grand Prix. Can you? No, I think particularly with his upgrades coming, it's gonna it's gonna be ominous. 
So I think I think once again, I think I don't think we'll see an awful lot of Max on the track. We'll be looking at the battles going on behind him. Yeah, absolutely. The podium. So this is where it gets a little bit interesting. We actually have to put some thought into these predictions yeah. now. Uh, Courtney, who's going to be on your podium this weekend? Yeah, I, I'm sticking with my first prediction, and I'm going to say that Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz are going to um, finish on the podium. I want to add a little bit more spice. We saw things got quite tense between the uh, the two drivers at the British Grand Prix, even um, during qualifying. So I feel... The Ferrari are going to be the best of the rest, and I think they, they will be ahead of their competitors. And I feel that there's going to be a tense battle between second and third between Sainz and uh, Leclerc. Yeah, we're seeing that a lot at the moment with these two, and I think it's the last thing Ferrari need at the moment because obviously the drivers want to you know, be the better of the two. They want to outdo each other. They want to beat one another. Ferrari in a situation where they're just you know, on strategy, they're messing things up or the car is oversensitive and it can't perform to the level that they're hoping it will. The last thing they need is is the two Ferrari guys getting tense and having a fight with one another. There seems to be little moments where it's happening, where it's during the race and the early stints of Austria, where Sainz was moaning that Leclerc was slower than him, although the data suggested that if they'd have swapped the cars around, it wouldn't have mattered. Leclerc would have been faster anyway. And then we had in qualifying in Silverstone with all that mess that was going on at the end of Q1. So... Yeah, it, it's one to keep an eye on. I don't think it's going to burst into life in the same way that we saw with other teams that have had this issue. I think Carlos and Charles have a very good relationship off the track anyway, where, you know, these moments that happen, they're like little tidbits. They're nothing to really worry about boiling over or anything like that. But uh, it's one yeah. for I will have to keep an eye on. Yeah, I want to elaborate with that 100%. I'm glad you, you brought it up. I, I feel that when I, when I say tense, I don't think they're going to collide. Obviously, I've said they're going to finish second or third. But I feel there's gonna be uh there's gonna be a lot of drama on the radio. And as you know, Adam, I love a little bit of radio drama, so I hope it happens. We all do, don't we? When it sort of comes on, see what's going on, and uh usually with Ferrari it's usually filled with drama one way or the other. But uh you know, Charles has had some running with teammates before. Sebastian Vettel, they collided a few times, of course, Carlos. Carlos has not really necessarily been involved in collisions as a teammate, but there was those odd moments early on in his career with Max when they were teammates at Toro Rosso, uh, Renault as well, having some run-ins with Hulkenberg and McLaren, not so much at Norris, but there was always that battle for supremacy there. So they're no strangers to a bit of teammate rivalry, these two, but I don't really see it boiling over anything like that. I think we'll be really stretching if that was the case. Um, my podium, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be cautious and go with... Perez to get his act together and and finish P2. P3, I'm a little torn, but I've got to give Ferrari some ups this weekend because I think they are going to be stronger this weekend and go Charles Leclerc and P3 for that one. Best of the rest. Lando Norris for me. Lando Norris? I'm going to say George Russell. Oh, just to clarify, Courtney, best of the rest. Oh, say, okay. say, just, yeah, so my thought on this one, but for the benefit of those listening, if you are new, best of the rest, this is the category who we think will be the best finisher yeah. that isn't in a Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes or Aston Martin. So, Courtney, I'm going to have to push you for another answer. Okay, I've, I've made a Freudian slip there because subconsciously I'm now putting McLaren in that bracket ah. after their performances in Austria and... So I know we're not quite there yet. Maybe this is me getting carried away. As you said, let's not get carried away. But subconsciously, I'm now putting McLaren in that bracket. But I will answer the question. 
I'm going to say Piastri, you know. I think Piastri would have been frustrated with how things went in um, in the British Grand Prix. And I feel he's going to come back with a uh, with a strong performance and be best of the rest. I like that because with Oscar Piastri, it's very easy for us to lay glowing references and praise to Lando Norris. And, and rightfully so. I think Lando has been brilliant this season. He always seems to impress us more and more and more. And that performance he put in at Silverstone... You know, the offensive driving, the defensive driving, the one lap pace, the race pace. It was beautiful. Lovely stuff to see. But Oscar Piastri was with him every step of the way. Hopefully, I don't know if he has the upgraded front wing this weekend. I certainly hope he does. um, Because that's going to really help them out a lot this weekend. And Oscar was right there with Lando. If he'd have had the upgraded car that gave him the delta that Lando had in terms of the advantage, Oscar would have been right there with him. So I'm hoping that that continues this weekend because he is a very, very good driver. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping more people see that in Oscar Piastri. So I like that prediction. I really do. I hope Oscar does well this weekend. Um, And I'm hoping that's the only thing the Australians have to cheer about this weekend for the cricket fans (laughs) out there. Come on, England. Um, Bold prediction time, Courtney. Um, Let's come to you first on this one. What is your bold prediction? I thought the Ferrari's been a the, the double Ferrari on the podium. I, I'm going to go with Daniel Ricciardo. I, I, some people might not even think this is bold. I'm going to go with Daniel Ricciardo out qualifying Sergio Perez in qualifying. Oh, I like it. I like that is bold. I mean, because let's be honest, I know Perez is having a bit of a stinker when it comes to qualifying form. But you still, if, if I was going to predict my front row, I'd still pick the two Red Bulls. Even though, Perry, so re- you know, yeah. The reason why I think this is, um, we know that Hungary is the closest thing to a street circuit away from the street circuits themselves. I think traffic can play a big part and the weather can be also be unpredictable there. And I just feel that where Sergio Perez, despite the strengths of that car, seems to be, I'd say one of the drivers that struggles with original setup more than anyone else on the grid. I feel he's the type of person that could fall victim to the chaos it can sometimes come with a busy qualifying session. So that's why I feel that Sergio Perez, I wouldn't be shocked to see Sergio Perez uh, go out in Q1 again. Mm. Well, you know, it would be a surprise. And I think, you know, it would come at the worst timing given what else is going down at AlphaTauri this weekend with Ricardo returning. Obviously, Perez needs to return to form. I said this in the last episode when I was having a discussion on Sergio Perez. If Perez performs well, and performs to the level that Red Bull expects him to. And, you know, even though he's P2 in the Drivers' Championship at the moment, which I think surprised a lot of people when they saw that, probably because they're not interested in the championship right now, given how dominant Max has been. But if Perez is able to pick his form up and finish P2 by some reasonable margin, he's got absolutely nothing to worry about. He Mm. will be in that Red Bull next season. That's what Red Bull want, ultimately, I think. If Ricardo ends up in there, it's a marketer's dream for Red Bull. But they're not going to put him in there unless they're absolutely convinced he's good enough still to drive that car. It just wouldn't happen. It makes no sense to do that anyway. So I have to wait and see. My bold prediction, however, on Ricardo, because it's Daniel Ricardo, I'm going to go one further and say he's going to score points this weekend. Yeah. I'm going to go a points finish for Daniel Ricardo. What a story that would be. It would dominate the headlines if he was to do it this weekend. I'm sure Alpha Tauri would love it if uh, he gets in the points this weekend. I mean, they made a big fuss of him when he returned to the factory at Fianza. It was uh, quite telling, actually, how much they embraced Daniel Ricciardo. It was lovely to see. So, 
yeah, I'm going to go all in on Danny Rick. Point finish. So do you think he's going to beat Sonoda? Well, that's the trick, isn't it? Because that's what who he's going to be competing against. I do want to give Sonoda the benefit of the doubt and say Sonoda is definitely the favourite at this point in time. But it, it's Daniel Ricardo. It's yeah. like with Fernando. Well, obviously, you know, Ricardo and Fernando's careers are very different and Fernando was much more successful. But I don't think many people were doubting Fernando Alonso's talent when he came back into Formula One. And I think in a way, it's kind of like when Kimi came back to a degree. You know, all right, Kimi won a world title as well, but... There was always that will he still be fast and stuff. I think I'm going to have faith in Ricardo to pull it out of the bag. I'm hoping that he's able to leave that poor McLaren form behind and we see the real Daniel Ricardo return. I'm really hoping, but we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? Yeah, I think you have a look at, back at Daniel's career. I think you look back at 2015, 2016, um, that if Red Bull had the fastest car... Daniel would have been a world champion. You know, I think sometimes it's very easy to look back on drivers and say, oh, he, he doesn't have a world championship or he has this numbers of world championships. We all know it, a lot of it comes down to luck when it comes to having the fastest car. So I think it's very easy to downplay Daniel just because he hasn't won a world championship. Yeah, very, very true. But of course, it's a very hard thing to win a world championship. So you can't be too harsh on Daniel for not having done that just yet. We'll just have to wait and see. But I think that's all we've got time for on this one. Guys, as I mentioned already, get your predictions in. Whether you're listening to us on your favorite audio platform, get over to the YouTube channel, get in the comment section, let us know your predictions. And of course, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. It really does help us out and it helps get this podcast out to many more wonderful people that probably haven't heard of us yet. We'd love to increase the DNF1 family. Of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, don't forget to like the video, as always. Subscribe to the channel if you are new, as we are fastly heading to the summer break. But of course, until then, enjoy the Grand Prix this weekend. We'll be back with the review with a full panel. Mind you, Lee will be returning to the panel next this weekend. But until then, guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, please stay safe, and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.